Hello, gorgeous, lovely people. How are you? I hope you're doing well. Now, if you would like to hear from someone who will nourish your soul and fill you with joy, then Kathy Mosley is just the woman for you. Kathy grew up in Bethnal Green in London, a true working class upbringing, she says, with a proper honest work ethic. And my goodness, this has taken Kathy far. As a teenager, Kathy was the only girl working on a big city trading floor with no experience. But she rose all the way to the top of the bank, becoming the Senior Director of Trading, a job which took her all over the world. Kathy has since channeled all her hard work and values to create Boundless, a healthy snack business, which is now slowly taking over our supermarkets and Selfridges. But to Kathy, it's so much more than just a business. She describes her company and the people who work for her as her family. She loves what she does, and she really is filling us all with healthy, delicious food. Kathy has seen even lots of money really doesn't buy happiness, but she believes if you just listen to that inner voice of yours, you know the one, then you can find your happiness too. Hello and welcome to the next chapter by Ellie Barker. The idea behind this podcast is that as I start my next chapter from journalist to indie author, I speak with some incredible people who've already started their next chapter in the hope it might help you with your next chapter. Or at the very least, you'll just enjoy the conversation. So here she is, Kathy Mosley. Kathy Mosley, welcome to the next chapter by Ellie Barker. I am thrilled to have you. I've been waiting to do this for a while, so thank you so much for doing it. Oh, Ellie, thank you so much for inviting me. I feel super excited to be chatting to you too. I know it's been it's been kind of like moving ships in the night, hasn't it? Really lovely to be here with you now. Fabulous, fabulous. You're you're brilliant, brilliant. So let's just get straight into it, Kathy. So as ever, I start with the prologue. Now you grew up in Bethnal Green. You say you have working class parents. You didn't have much, but you were taught the most valuable thing of all, one of the most valuable things, a really strong work ethic. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, I grew up in Bethnal Green, um, my mum and dad, my brother. And yeah, like I say, my my family were completely working class, you know, worked really hard, that sort of thing. And, you know, my dad went to night school to train to become an accountant. And um, and even but then still then it was times were really pretty tough and um, just coming really from that background, I guess. But, yeah, the one thing that was instilled in me was you have to work, you know, you have to work hard. And that doesn't mean if you went off and get on education, you still didn't work. It was all about the fact that you had to work. And, yeah, I had to work really hard as a kid. My mum and dad always made me work, not in the sense to put me out to to work and to get income, but more to the fact of knowing that um, the value of work and and to really, I suppose, I think probably now I look back, to respect someone else's value of work also and I, to understand how other people work hard and to know what that really means. So, yeah, I was, I, was, I was really lucky in that way. And like I say, we didn't have a lot, but we had each other and that was probably really valuable. My family were all from London and I mean I don't know Bethnal Green well but we used to come over to Roman Road Market. That's I used to get my clothes from Roman Road they, Market. Oh my goodness that <laughs> stall up on the right there was a one stall and it was like yeah, oh was... so and we and there was a cafe on the corner corner we called yeah, it Michael's. Yeah. I don't think it was called Michael's and we used to go and have no, our I sausage baps. Before you went to the market. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yes, yeah, we used to get there in the morning. You'd get a roll in there, yeah. get like a tea, and then you'd walk down the market and like we were never allowed to buy anything on the way down because you used to make sure you got the right value of everything and then you could buy something on the way back and then we'd get like pie and mash. That was like a treat oh, on a yes. Saturday. Yeah. Not every Saturday, but... But you, you know, had to go cool. and early in the morning. We used to... Cause oh, like, God, yeah. We used to leave from um, Burnham Beaches in Buckingham. So we'd like leave at the crack of dawn, but it was so exciting. Anyway, the reason I say this is I'm so glad that someone remembers that lovely cafe. That was amazing. That that well, I loved it, Michael's. Um, but but the point is that area was a real area like that, wasn't it? It was a real working class, strong values, look after your family. You know, it was that kind of atmosphere. So you were right in the heart of it, weren't you? Yeah, very much so. I mean, you know, like my grandparents lived with us and stuff like that. You know, it was really family orientated. And I think, you know, um, it was kind of like, I suppose really like the spill on from World War Two, you know, my grandparents, all of that kind of stuff. So and obviously having been severely bombed during World War Two was kind of like it was a little bit desolate. 
But I think on the other hand, what it also brought was a real multitude of kind of like diversity in terms of kind of obviously lots of people from different um, ethnical backgrounds and countries and stuff like that, which what you what you all had in common was you were all poor, you know, and I think that was kind of like, no, I, I don't know many people, you know, know Nicky Falligan as a comedian, but he came from Bethnal Green. And when he talks and he talks about the things that went on there, I mean, it just resonates with me. But it was a real sense of community and um, you didn't have much, but everyone was really willing to share, you know, that kind of stuff. And, you know, playing, you know, bloody kind of throwing a ball against the wall in the flats and all this kind of stuff, you know, no such things as obviously iPads and technical stuff like that. But, you know, yeah, it was a real sense of community. And I think that's probably taught me quite a lot in terms of how you reflect in business about treating people, your team, as a community, I think it's yeah, it's really important. I'm not sure. I'm not sure so much if that's still as much around as it once was. Certainly in that area, because it's been very regenerated and kind of changed. But um, I'd like to think that, that people still have those values, I guess. And the odd sing song on the old Joanna. Oh <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> but what? So presumably you went to the local school, and yeah. at school, did you? You said you were a bit of a SWAT. So yes. you worked hard? Yes, I did work hard. Um, I'd be, so I went to local school and then what happened was I, I was put into for my 11 plus and I passed my 11 plus and therefore I got to go to grammar school um, for my, what you call your senior years as such, from 11, 12 years on. And um, I was really lucky because um, that gave me an opportunity that I never would have really had. Like most of my friends didn't have that. And our lives probably probably changed quite a bit from that from that reason. But yeah, my um, my dad um, was you know very much the fact that he used to he used to make me count the Smarties, and um, we'd get a Smartie tube in the week, and you'd count the Smarties, and we'd play algebra with the Smarties. And if I didn't get them right, they went back in the tube, and then we'd play again tomorrow. Right. Do you know what I mean? Play again tomorrow, and just just practice and stuff like that. So yeah, I think. Being a SWAT at school, I was as well, really was. God, yeah. I even glanced on my best friend because she was caught smoking in the loo and <gasps> got the head teacher. How very dare she? I said, Emma's in the loo smoking. And uh, I'll never forget, and the head teacher goes to me, Miss Stewart, her name was. She said to me, Kathy, Emma's your best friend. I went, yeah, I'm not. But she's still smoking in the loo, so she's not <laughs> meant to be. She was terrible. Mm. I mean, how she stayed my friend, she's still my friend. But she's still your friend? Wow. <laughs> that's, see, that's those strong yeah, values. I, yeah, I think the thing was, I think I, I think in terms of being a SWAT, and I really mean that in, in the nicest way, was the fact that I'd been given an opportunity and therefore I wasn't going to let that go. And I knew, I'm not the brightest person out there whatsoever, but I knew if I worked hard, I could keep up. And I think that was probably the thing that I, I thought I'd be given the opportunity. Were you the eldest or was your brother? No, I'm the eldest. Okay, so you were really the first, you were the first one sort of leading the way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. My brother didn't go to grammar school, but he's doing all right. But anyway, but yeah, he, yeah. I think I think I'm kind of um, I'm, I'm I'm very like that. I'm kind of like to glue our family together because a few years later, my parents got divorced. Even though they get on fine now and everything else, but I think I kind of like always tried to believe in making sure about being the glue for us all. Mm. And I think that therefore I, I probably felt a, a sense of responsibility. Mm you know, given given opportunity and everything else like that to make sure that I, you know, pushed on with that. Really. Yeah. Did you did you go to university? No, I didn't. I left straight from school when I was 16. So I was really fortunate that um, I did my maths and English a year early. So like, you know, your GCSEs. And I did my maths and English GCSEs a year early. I don't know why I did my English because I can't spell for anything, but there you go. <laughs> Must have been imagination. But the um, but maths is okay. And then what they allowed me to do was I did an, an AS. I don't know if they still do them now. Do you know what I mean? So I did an AS in in English and maths when I was when most people at school were taking their GCSE for that year. I did an English um, AS and I passed those. And um, yeah, and I decided that I wanted to go to work. And um, my dad was like, right, well, if you're not going to go to university, because obviously I suppose I was on a trajectory that I could have done potentially, I'll never know. Um, I was going to go. And he was like, well, you're not going to do anything. 
you know, nothing, you've got to do something. And I was like, yeah, so I said, I'm going to get a job in the city. That's what I said. And that's what I went to do. Amazing. And I suppose where you were, that was that was quite sort of feasible, wasn't it? You weren't far from the city and this is perhaps other people, when you saw other people were doing it, did you? Yeah, I, I, well, I used to go past on the number six bus, past Standard and Chartered Building, which was opposite NatWest Tower, which is right, right in the heart of the city, certainly back then, you know, in, in the 80s and stuff. I used to go past it and it used to have this massive tree inside this glass building and it was standard and charter. I didn't know who standard and charter were then. But anyway, I could see it and I just I used to say to my granddad, I'm gonna work in there. Brilliant. I'm gonna work in there. I'm gonna work in there. And I actually did, yeah, really weirdly. But yeah, that is I, yeah, amazing. Yeah. So so what did you do when you went to the city? What how did you get your first job and what did you do? So they used to, the evening standard is paper in uh, London and um, it used to years ago it used to come out twice a day mm. it used to come out at, at lunchtime lunch, yeah exactly and then in the evening so you get the afternoon standard and the evening standard and in the afternoon standard they put the jobs in there and um, basically I just get trawled these jobs every day going to like what I suppose would, would be recruitment agencies in do you know what I mean because obviously you'd have to phone them up and then mm. they come along bring your CV in and stuff like that and then I went along I saw this job advert you know called a um, an LME clerk which is London Metal Exchange clerk and I didn't have a clue what it meant but I knew it was in the city and it was going to pay me good money I could see that and I thought right I can go along for that I'm in. exactly I went along to the interview and yeah and they and they and they we had an interview and they said, could you come back next week? And I said, yeah, okay. And, and I went back the following week and I've never forgotten this. And they took me to lunch. They took me to a restaurant. I've never been in a restaurant like that in my life. It wasn't like I mean, Michael's. Yeah, exactly. It weren't like Michael's. It weren't, certainly like, weren't like the pie mash shop. It was Italian in Leadenhall Market. And they took me there and they said to me, we'd like to offer you the job. And I just couldn't believe it. And I thought, oh my God. Is this what you get to do? Do you get to go to lunch? Yeah. Things like this sort of thing. So yeah, I took that and then um, I went to the London Metal Exchange, which was um, yes, a very quick, quick baptism of fire. And so, did you? I mean, because I I remember like you know I worked in London. We used to go over to the city sometimes, and I used to think I, I wish my dad always wished I was good with numbers as well. To be honest with you, Kathy, it was more words, which is why I did journalism. But you know, it's like to work in the city. I mean, the, the it was just um, the the atmosphere it was I just remember it was like electric wasn't it so so did you you yeah. got work there and did you was it really fast paced was it long hours and then did you sort of yeah, work oh, your yeah, way yeah. up yeah exactly so I started to run out it was yeah but I mean you know for someone at my age at 16 to walk into something into so I worked on the actual pit when I first started so it's open outcry trading to walk into this like building where there are just hundreds of people shouting and screaming at each other, these numbers and all these screens changing and stuff like that. I mean, obviously, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. And, and I, to be fair, I don't think most people do down there. <laughs> but anyway, and that's, like, that's in like 30 years' experience. But yeah, I, you know, and it was just, it was, it was, it was very, very fast paced. It was very, very, uh, you've got to learn quickly. There's no room for mistakes or as you're out, you know, obviously. People make mistakes, but in in the genuine thing, it's just too fast paced, and it was thrilling. It was mm-hmm. absolutely. I suppose I, I don't ride a, a motorbike, but I understand the feeling that the you know the acceleration must be exhilarating, and that's what it was like. It was just like no moment was the same. You know, it was it was really really fast paced and stuff like that. And you know, I was really lucky. You know, I got to travel from it. I lived abroad. I lived in New York and Singapore for a period of time because of it. And probably opportunities that, you know, like I say, had I not gone to that grammar school, had I not done this, you know, I may not have been able to have achieved. And uh, so for that from it, I will always be really grateful. But it, yeah, it took me a lot. And then I, I worked up until the end of when I when I left the city. And yeah, and then I was like senior director of uh, Sockgem Bank Trading Arm. Um, so yeah, oh I, was, I was very lucky. So so that first job you had, what were you actually doing? Right. So what you had to do, okay, was so you couldn't become a trader till you were twenty-one. So I obviously had time before I was going to be able to become a trader. That was what I wanted. And at that point, there were no female traders. 
And so in on the London Met Exchange, I think there's probably about 350, 400 people in the pit. Obviously, there's thousands of people that work within the industry. And um, basically, I was there was only another two women down there and me, and I was the youngest person on the exchange. So that was also probably, as you can imagine, you're talking back in the 90s now where, you know, PC and kind of what we are happily getting into nowadays, much more equality was not around. No. So, um, yes, yeah, so what you had to do was all the traders would trade in an open outcry system. So they would be screaming at each other, buy this, sell that, whatever it may be. And you have to write down what your trader's doing. Follow your trader around the pit doing what they're doing. And they might be screaming at 10 people and you've got to make sure you write down everything they do. And they'll turn around to you and say, what did I trade? And you'd have to go, yeah, you did this, you did that. Because I was like, oh my God. So they really are just screaming out anything. I mean, why are they screaming? I mean, so so you were just following what they were doing. Yeah, you're just, you're basically their eyes and ears. You're, you're their notepad. They're kind of like, you know, you're doing multiple trades at multiple times. They're getting you to make sure you keep count. Okay, two things, you know, we'll ask, I'll ask you in a minute what it was like for you to be a girl in that environment. But you were presumably as well learning so much. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, the, the learning curve is as, you know, as steep as Everest. I mean, it is literally, you are in, hence what I was saying earlier, baptism of fire. You are in, you are shown what to do, and then it's get on with it. Mm. you know and yeah you're learning so much so you're you're learning just how to navigate your way through the day in order to make sure that you're writing everything down and all the processes you've got to do to enable that to come to fruition just not writing it down and processing it through the system but you're also trying to understand what actually am i writing down you know what what is this what are we trading because it's futures and I think probably one of the biggest things that most people can never understand and absolutely agree is it doesn't mean anything. It's a number that doesn't mean anything because nothing really happens with the future. It's always in the future. It never comes to the present. Right. But yet with the London Metal Exchange, what was different, what was slightly different on the undercore is there is metal in the world right. and metal is consumed and produced. And so you're also trying to understand the vanilla side of that business of, you know, kind of production and smelters and all of this kind of stuff and, and supply and demand kind of so yeah it's a lot it's a lot to learn oh my goodness when you think though Kathy with your dad and those smarties and you make that was training that was training Dad's, dad trained me up well for the smarty count. Yeah, he yeah, did. I think it is. I think, it, yeah, I think it really is. I think also, I'll be honest, I think probably the age, which is why I'd say to anyone young, if that's what you want to do, I know it's probably different now with getting a degree and everything else, but, you know, that you are a sponge. Mm. You have such the ability just to consume so much, you know, and take on so much information and not be exhausted yes. at the end of it. Because, you know, most days, I, well, I did. I'd go in the office at six, and I'd be lucky if I was out by six, mm. if not seven. Mm. You know, so you are doing long days. It's fast pace, and you know, it really is. I have to, I hate to say it, but it really is the um, career of someone young. Yeah, I can understand. And would you go out after that as well? Was it a real party? Oh yeah. So you'd have. So you do loads of socialising, obviously, and I think, you know, I mean, socialising is really important in any company or any team because I think it kind of, like, you know, it irons out the niggles, doesn't it, between people at times. If you have a drink, we just have a chat or whatever mm. it may be. But, yes, an awful lot of socialising. And obviously, you've got to remember, this is the 90s and in the 2000s where everyone was kind of, like, party central. Yeah, with a big phone. And, Exactly, with a big phone. I was only calling my mum. I had no one else to call. <laughs> but, they, um, but then also, I think also the fact was, you know, you're in a very young environment. So therefore, everyone's young. I think at the time, I think my boss, I remember thinking, oh, my God, he's old. He was like 27, you know, and it just, you know, you're 16. Oh, God, ancient. You know, I, everyone's very young. And I think I've been my first director, head of the trading uh, floor I think he was only like 31 right 30 yeah. so you've got everyone's got quite a lot of responsibility in this really young environment and brain and so therefore parties probably ha hands itself and I think that stress level also 
It's about going out, having a drink. But then as my career got on further is you do a lot of client entertaining. Mm. So, you know, a client's over, it's Monday, you're exhausted, but I want to go to dinner. I want to go to dinner here at at A and you will go. And then they want to stay out until 12, 1 o'clock in the morning. But, you know, you're back at your office at 5.36. You know, that's why I do think it belongs to the young, unfortunately. Were Were they nice to you? clients or both, both really when you were sort of that young girl were they were they respectful and nice no 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 um if i could give anyone any recommendation if you were going to embark on that career the thing i would say is get your head down get on with it learn with it fade into the background and when you when you're ready you can come out knowing what you do and that is impossible when you are female. Yeah. And it's impossible to do that because you stick out like a sore thumb. We mm-hmm. certainly did then. And as I know now, you certainly would now. It's still not anywhere near equal mm-hmm. in terms of par with, you know, actually having X amount of employees that are male to X amount of employees that are female. And uh, no, obviously you're talking back in a day when I know we talk about um, hashtag me too now, but a lot of that stems back to that area and back previous to that and you're talking at a time when you were classed as a sexual object Mm. and it wouldn't matter that I could do my job well or not was the fact that that's really I had to be the butt of the joke I had to put up with all of that stuff I mean I mean I really reckon I should write a book the fact I can't write Ellie is is (laughs) not if you can you can help me write one I'll help you um, yeah I think yeah it's just it was You know, there isn't anything, whether that's good or bad, whether there isn't anything that I haven't had said to me that would now possibly offend me going forward because I've had so much said to me at such a young age Mm. in terms of sexual innuendos, you know, kind of absolute pure discrimination because you're female, you know, the fact that you can't do the job well enough because you're female, the fact that, oh, God, we've got to have a woman on our team, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And that that continues mm. up until I left, which was only, you know, 10 years, whatever it was ago. That was still very much the same, even when I was in a very senior role. Mm. It's still very much deemed. And, you know, like I say, I'm not in it now, but I do talk to people there and it's, not much has changed no which is well that's a whole different conversation isn't it it's just awful but i suppose it was really character building for you wasn't it i mean my oh goodness my God, me yeah, yeah it, it did and i think it taught me it taught me like i say it afforded me a really amazing start in my life and my career it, i traveled i met lots of amazing people do you know what i mean and i met a lot of not so lovely people but i but i learned a lot from it and it also made me know in terms of where I am in business now was how I wanted my business to run and how what I would and wouldn't not accept from yeah. people in terms of how my team operated. Yeah. So so when you left, which obviously we'll move on to this now, but when you left, what was your job in the city? When I left, I was senior director of trading at Sockgen Bank. I mean, that's huge. Yeah, yeah, it was. I had like about 30 people underneath me. That was my team. Obviously men, uh, which (laughs) probably, I think they probably hated, but that's fine. Yeah, so what I I did then was I traded for um, hedge funds and CTAs, which are commodity trade advisors. So what I I did was my portfolio for trading was only for like what you call large hedge funds or CTAs. So um, that would be like making markets move and swing by how a um, hedge fund would invest or would in terms of buy or sell the the product. And then I would advise them or whether I think that they should do that now or they should wait and that, that kind of stuff, rather than the vanilla kind of business of actually speaking to the likes of I know, say like a Coca-Cola, who is probably one of the biggest consumers of aluminium in the world, that kind of thing. Yeah, wow. I mean, what a job. From that day when you went out for that lunch with them to that, my goodness me, what a... Yeah, exactly. I think, yeah, I think, I think, yeah, of course, you know, a, a big, big time, big career, but I was definitely ready to leave. Yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd had my, I'd had, it's come to the end for me. And had you met your husband by this stage? Yes, I met my husband um, probably about 
eight eight nine years before I left the city. I met I met I met him. Do you know what I mean? And I think probably you know I, I hate to say this or tell him this, but yeah, I think I think having him and this is I think it's probably really important for people that do try to change their career is it's it's quite it's really good to have support and I had support in the fact that I knew financially which let's face it that's what we're all kind of really you know stuck with quite a lot of in terms of our life I knew financially that if I left I wouldn't be homeless I wouldn't go hungry and that made my choice probably far easier Mm. than somebody that's probably in the position that I was in and might be the main breadwinner in that family you know might be you know especially if she's female that person's female and got children at home and stuff like that there's there's quite a lot of weight to staying in that environment because you know you can earn a certain amount of money that can give you a certain lifestyle and you know as we all know people get addicted to the lifestyle they have and um are probably quite unhappy being in that situation so I was very lucky Mm. having met him to the fact that I was able to do that you're right though Kathy aren't you because and obviously you've seen this firsthand but often all these things we're told make us happy the smart you know cars the house the this if your day-to-day life makes you miserable even if you've got a gazillion amount of money as much as we like you say god money you know is lovely but it's not worth it is it you see, I'm sure you saw it firsthand well absolutely you know I think I got to the point where it was making myself unwell unwell not to leave and like I said really lucky to be in that position not have a worry of leaving but I think I think we could look at just what's happened in the last 18 months with you know Covid and lockdown I think the biggest angst for a lot of people what have we wanted the most Mm. has it been going to the pub you know just because we want to go to the pub or is it going to a restaurant or buying something new online or whatever it is in actual fact I think it's just really been about seeing people Mm. and I think sometimes we well, we all do it. We get lost, don't we, mm. in the kind of the big wheel of life and forget what's really important. And that generally is your health mm. and seeing the people you love. Yeah, your connections, your connections and a purpose. As I've learned, I'm learning more and more. You um said, so moving on into your next chapter, you told me you said you had a bad day at the office and there was a, a stall. You set up a street food stand. Now, ha- so what happened? Okay, so yeah, bad day at office, thought, went home, like, I'm never going back. And I remember having a taxi ride with um, a guy that I used to get a taxi with in the morning. And he used to, like, it's just a black cab, and he'd, like, come past, he'd be looking for me. And I, I said to him, and then he picked me up that evening, and he said, oh, you know, Catherine, I said, Bow. I said, yeah, but terrible. I said, I said to him, I said, I'm, I'm not going to see you again. And he said, what do you mean you're not going to see me again? I said, oh, I'm not going back. He said, oh, of course you will. You go back. I said, I'm not. I said, I'm not going to see you again. I said, no, I want to say it. It's been so lovely all the years traveling with you. And I didn't. And I never went back. Yeah. So it was quite a poignant moment, really, Mm. my my cabbie. But yeah, okay. So I think the thing was, I I was always interested in food. And I, my my mum and my nan were good home cooks, stuff like that. And um, I'm a... Being in the position I've been in, I've been to all the fancy restaurants. Thank, you know, luckily I didn't have to pay all these things. I travelled over the world eating all this lovely food, rather than being, you know, backpacking, you know, able to stay in nice hotels and living places and all this kind of stuff. And I loved food, and um, and I always felt like even though we had all the food accessible to us in a dealing room that you could want, because anyone can go and get anything and deliver to you and everything else, and the money to buy it, everyone generally ate rubbish. You know, it was never really good for me. So I wanted to do food and um, I wanted to leave London, much to my husband's dismay at the time, because I said I wanted to change. I really wanted to change. If I was going to leave the city, I lived right by the city. I just said I've got to I've got to leave. Where, where did you actually live in London? I lived in Clerkenwell. Right. So you really were there. Oh, yeah, EC1. So literally, so I could get to, to the office so quickly. And yeah, so I really wanted to leave. So um, my husband came from Bath, and we'd been coming this way for years, obviously see family and friends and stuff. And so we said, we we're going to move this way. And um, I'd been here a few months, and whatever, and I knew I wanted to do food. And the street food market, as in well, so the street food movement had already started to become quite big. It become big in London, so I've seen that, and and it was certainly filtering out now to other major cities. And I noticed that Bristol 
was having like street food markets and you know and you know at Bristol so eclectic so great so young as well and vibrant you know great universities and that sort of stuff so I I kind of thought oh I think I might do a street food stall you know dip my toe in the water I guess and um, I got talking to somebody else in the village and she said she'd love to do that as well so I said well let's just do it let's just do it so that's how we got into it and we set up this little street food stall in Bristol doing kind of very Middle East Middle Eastern Moorish kind of food really kind of spin on Ottolenghi really right I guess wow so that was so you'd left your job and you I mean that was such a I think that was a really brave thing to do I mean you just did it didn't you you just you just did it yeah yeah I know I think I think the thing is, though, I think, you know, I think, you know, I think everybody in themselves has an inner voice. Mm. And sometimes you can muffle that inner voice. And Mm. probably the vast majority of us do for quite a long time. But if we just listen to our inner voice, I think we'd probably all be on a happier pathway. Yeah. And I think that's and I think I just got to the point where my inner voice was so loud it was ringing in my head, you know, and I actually, and I've been hands up. I actually don't think I was a very nice person. Mm. I don't think I was a very nice person to be around. Mm. And I'd like to think I am quite a nice person. You seem very nice to me, Cathy. I'm a big advocate for me. I am. You know, the, the thing is, I think, you know, and I, 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 if I'm honest, I, I don't think I was, I wasn't a very nice person. And I think, I mean, lots of people do that, don't they? They end up, you know, you basically deflect, you kind of, you know, you, you become a certain person because you're unhappy. Yeah, and I, and I think I wasn't a very nice person. Mm. And I think that needed to change. Mm. Well, well done you for admitting it and doing something about it because so many people don't. And then all that misery spreads. So whereabouts in Bristol did you do your stall? Oh, so in Temple Meads. In Temple Meads, they've got a, they used to have a street food market uh, movement there. I think it's still going. In fact, I think it's got um, bigger now. Yeah, really lovely setup, kind of like a social enterprise, really. And um, yeah, I just got in contact with them and kind of like put out a kind of like, please let us come and join. We'll be great. We'll be different. We're not going to, you know, steal from anybody else. We've got a different kind of product. And that kind of stuff. And, uh, yeah, and um, I learned to make flatbreads. I learned to make flatbreads on what they call a Turkish satch, which is like an upside-down sky dish, S-A-J, is, but I think you pronounce it satch. And, uh, yeah, I became, like, the, the fastest dough roller in the southwest, I think. Of course she did. Of course she did. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, so it was brilliant. And it was a really great sense of community. Again, I think that's hearts back to where where I come from, that kind of like, and everyone was trying to help each other out. I mean, it had the most amazing highs. I mean, the first day you sell something to someone, someone paying you for your food, you know, and then coming back to you and saying, that's amazing. It's not just your mum or your nan or your husband or your mate saying, oh, that's a good dinner. You know, someone paying you for something was just a fantastic feeling. And, um, yeah, some great highs, obviously some big lows. I mean, because... You make a lot of food and then it rains and no one comes out, you know, and that's that's hard. But it, I, I, again, I learned a load there as well. So you were so you basically taught yourself how to cook with your friend you'd made in the village. And yeah. so, you, you know, you hadn't you didn't do any training. You didn't do anything yeah. like that. You're like, this is the kind of food I want to make and we want to sell. You made it. You learned how to make it. You went to the market and you sold it. That's yeah. just amazing. Do yeah. you know what though, Kathy? This is take oh. us back to that Roman Road Market again, isn't it? You're back to your roots. It wasn't pie and mash, but still. <laughs> but that's so. I just think that's amazing. I really do because I just think, and I know people listening to this will think it's amazing because it's just. But it's just you just do it, don't you? You know, there's we all put yeah. up the barriers. We're like, we've got to do a course. I can't do this. I can't do that. But you just did yeah. it. You just did it. So. Yeah. I- it's having, I mean, I think it's that self-belief for people, isn't it? Because I think there is there is something special in all of us, really something special yeah. in everybody. Everybody has something special about them. That's what makes them unique. That's why we're all unique. Yeah. And I just think, you know, but, I, you know, I'm like I say, I'm always really honest, not everyone gets the opportunity to be the best of them. And I think, again, I feel some of mine is, yes, okay, I'm, I'd like to say I'm pretty go-getting, but I've also had luck on my way to allow me to do that. Yeah. You say that, Kathy. I'm a big believer about you create your own luck. So how did that then go into Boundless? Okay. So 
what happens on a food stall okay you get there you set up it's like nine o'clock in the morning you're trying to get all the food ready you've prepped the night before okay you've got everything ready but then you still have set up and you prep to get you know things you need to dress and certainly food we did okay and then people start to come out for their lunch at about quarter past 11 you think jesus that's kind of like brunch isn't it? yeah no people come out for their lunch and then it is mental from about half past 11 to about two o'clock okay and it's just like a sea of people and you're just try, you're just going 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 and then you only have 45 minutes to clear up pack everything up, get it in your car and leave. So by the time you get home, then you get home and you clean down everything, you wash, you do all this stuff. And then it's about five o'clock. And what you found is you haven't eaten mm. all day because mm. you haven't had time to eat, which is ironic. Yes. Yeah. But you haven't had time to do any of that. Do you know what I mean? So what we started to do was, and sorry, I probably should say I'm um, gluten intolerance so during this time of making the um food um at the food store i found out that was gluten intolerant and dairy intolerant so that kind of meant the food i was cooking i also couldn't eat myself which made it even harder so i started making like kind of a snack right that i could take with me okay that i could just munch on if i needed to to give you some you know some fuel and not being funny one of the best things to give yourself some fuel is like nuts and seeds mm. it's really easy it's quick it's handy you can make it blah blah, blah. and plus i was being conscious of because i was going through a really strict time of making sure that i had to completely cut gluten and dairy and get it out of my system so i was really being picky about what i ate for the right reasons and you know feeling gutted that i couldn't have all those things but there you go so nuts and seeds really fit the bill and so that's how that's how the snack started. And then I started to look into, because obviously, you know, gluten and dairy were gut related, I started to look into more about things about the gut and, you know, how to help feed your gut, you know, to kind of, you know, make kind of like your inside out better, kind of that sort of thing. And uh, I then discovered activation this ancient method and everything else and that's really then what became boundless right so that was like a snack based around what you would like and that would would work for you but actually you're using really old ancient um yeah well i started taking ancient methods yeah i started taking them to the pub and started getting people and then what was happening was people started oh they're really nice they're Mm. really nice and i knew quite honestly that again, I think it must be must be a story of my life. Um, that street food is very hard work. Okay, really, you know, really hard to make money. Amazing fun when it's great and it's very seasonal and everything else. But it's a young person's game also because you're <laughs> up early, you're in, you're lugging things around and all this kind of stuff. And and I just thought to myself, and I'd be for me, I think I needed more in terms of. Um, business I think where where my brain had been so focused before on numbers and being up very early I still get up very early now I can't help myself you know all of that stuff I and I knew I needed to stretch myself a bit more and and then like I say with the with the nuts as I started off with the nuts and seeds I felt this might be a business there might be something it's because if I need it somebody else might need it and then I started to do the research into snacks and as the category that we would fall in as boundless would be functional snacking and I suppose probably about the right time the rise of functional snacking which is you know protein fiber something that does something for you you're not just you're eating it for enjoyment and taste but you're getting a function from it really started to be on an upward trajectory in the food sector and I just thought, yeah, let's do this. That is amazing as well. This is so good. So, so you, honestly, I just think it's honestly, Kathy, it's so inspiring. It's so inspiring oh, because I, so. I do, and and I say this in the um, I say this in the nicest way, and it, I do, but it's not, like it's not. It's so simple, isn't it? It's like this is what people want. You applied what you need, and then you did it. But it's the fact that you're actually doing it. You're doing these things, and you're learning. I think we all think these things, and we don't ever sort of often do it. So I think this is what. Yeah 
yeah, so inspiring. Um, well, that's really lovely of you, Ellie. I, I think I think the thing is, you know, I'm I'm inspired by lots of people that have gone before me and majorly successful. I mean, you know, Shoe Dog as a book, which is by the guy that started Nike, is absolutely fascinating. He started Nike because he was a runner and he couldn't afford really expensive running shoes. And he therefore set about trying to, you know, design a shoe, get a shoe made that he could get made cheaper, that he could afford to run in, you know. And then, you know, well, how many people run or certainly were running then but couldn't afford, you know, trainers that were, I mean, I realise Nike are very expensive now, but at the time, you know, running shoes were hundreds and hundreds of pounds when the average trainer was plimpsol. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I just think those things, but I think, in terms of starting any business like that, my, my biggest thing is always you just just do it, write it down, do you know what I mean? Go over it, do it, because the shops are filled with people just doing it. Yeah. You are. know, and I and I think it's it's there are so much there is so much inspiration out there. Yeah. We are an entrepreneurial society. And I think it's probably, you know, one of the best places to be. For being an entrepreneur yeah more, even more so now i think post pandemic i think people are really up for the independent so you so you now have you have eight people working with you yeah. so you have all different snacks that they're obviously are all packaged presumably you don't make them yourself now they're made by someone else no no so st- from starting in the kitchen yeah um we we have manufacturers that um, make our product for us. Um, so we have nuts and seeds and we have chips that we make as well. We only just really started doing the chips. But our products are all about gut health. That's what we do. We use activation in order to create good gut health. So adding that extra function to your snack. But yeah, we use manufacturers, but we use UK manufacturers. That was really important for me to do that. And kind of we pack in the UK, we produce in the UK, those kind of things. So yeah, it's... it's um, it's great, you know, we've got really good relationships with our manufacturers, both of them, and all of the manufacturers they use are all privately owned. They're all kind of, they're big, some of the bigger businesses than the others, but they're all individually privately owned, which really gives that, I'm going to say this again, really gives that great relationship back and forwards between us and them. And um, I think that really, that's really helped us, certainly being what we'd be classed as, as a startup challenger brand. You know, you need people to back you because lots of manufacturers will want huge volume, which, of course, when you start off, you can't agree to do that. You don't have the money to do that. It's a huge risk to do that. So you need to be able to get them to buy your story and understand what you're trying to do and about where you want it to go. And I think generally the only way you get to do that is if you're speaking to another business owner who's been in your position once before. You know, yeah, and that's the beauty of using the smaller businesses, really. And being honest as well. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah, honesty. Yeah, mm. absolutely. There wasn't much of that in my previous role. So that's a really big, uh, really big important for me. Well, I was just going to say that before we move on to the to the last few sections is the fact that, you know, when you think back now, really, when you go back all the way back to the Smarties and the counting with your dad and the algebra, but actually, and then everything that you learnt in trading which I mean that is you know it's unforgettable isn't it good and bad good and bad so you've used all those all that into this now you know the creating and this independent small business do you feel now you know when you said before you did feel really unhappy I mean how do you feel now oh I'm the happiest I've ever been in my life the happiest I've ever been and that doesn't mean that we don't have tough days at Boundless because of course we always you know we sit around sometimes around the table and go do you reckon Unilever has this problem you know (laughs) laughing to ourselves like oh my god we're flying by the seat of our pants and we haven't got a clue you know someone's just said can you make us this yeah of course we can oh my god (laughs) you know so yeah but I'm the happiest I've I've ever been because I I am proud of what we've created about and I say we and I know I'm our founder, as they would say, in what we do and everything else. And But without my team, there wouldn't be boundless. There isn't one person in that team that isn't valuable to me. And they're valuable for lots of different reasons. And that might just be, it's not just a commercial valuable. It's their person, what they add, what they bring to the team, you know. And it's really important to me that the team that I work in, that work with me, are happy Mm. it you know it it 
can make me really feel really discombobulated if they're not. It's a real feeling for me. And I and I am so pleased that I've been given an opportunity or made my opportunity or whatever's come my way that I've been fortunate, uh, you know, in my mid-40s to late-40s I'm getting now, God, never mind, is to, to have embarked on something else that I truly love and to work with the people that I would, you know, call my friends. Yeah. Well, as, as you were saying it, to me, it sounds like you've created your own another family back based on your Bethnal Green values. You've got this now in your working world and it's it's so special. It's so, so special. It is. And, you know, you can't buy that. No. You know that, and you saw that with all the, the traders and everything. You can't put a price on it. So go on, to be continued, what would you like to do next? Um, to grow Boundless, to be the high street brand that everyone knows is good to their gut. And yeah, I, for growing from here, I, I don't see anything else than Boundless. Growing the team, growing us to be, you know, recognised. I mean, for me, what we make is really important and I think, you know, we could get into a whole heap of different story, but I think, you know, nutrition is something that's really undervalued in the UK and, you know, some parts in Europe, yes, but certainly in the States and everything else. And, and for me, I think it should be that everyone should be entitled to eat something mm. that's affordable and nutritious and without being told by a big conglomerate that, oh, it is good for you. You know, what does that mean? Yeah. You know, that kind of stuff. And I, I think that's really important. So for me, that's that's why I want to see boundaries. It's not just the commercial factor for it. It's to it's to leave something, a change, mm. you know, a real challenge the status quo and to have changed the fact that generations behind me and, and behind and behind and behind wouldn't think about eating something that they weren't fully aware of that was, you know, was okay, it's a treat, that's not, but what I would normally eat is something that's properly nutritious. And I think it goes into schools, that goes everywhere, it's, you know, it's boots up. And I think the only way to change that, to challenge the, the larger conglomerates mm. and to make them change. And I think change is happening. I think it was happening pre-pandemic and it is certainly happening now, you know, because as we all know, health, whatever age you've been, has really been put on the line. And I think now it's it's a, it's a real opportunity and I'm really pleased that we're in a space that we can be part of changing that. Because you are in shops now, aren't you? I mean, you are slowly taking over. Yeah, we're in like kind of like high street shops, what we call independence. We're in um, some of the multiples, which would be like, you know, Sainsbury's, Holland and Barrett, TK Maxx, you know, the kind of big guys. And we're talking to um, some of the others at the moment, which is great. Um, yeah, we are because well, they. I think the thing is, you know, all the all the big guys now they're going to talk about the Sainsbury's, the Tesco's, the Asda, Morrison's, and everything else is. Um, they know that their general um, customer is aging, and they need to attract a younger customer. And that younger customer, which is what I'm really proud that we're part of understands is understanding more and more about their nutrition understands their macro so they understand what sits on the back of the pack and at the end of the day the only way to keep getting your customer in is to give them what they want and i think it's a really good it's a real sense of change and um yeah so yeah we are we, we're slowly taking over the world in a non kind of austin powers way and I and also see all those years of being in a young person's game. See now you know how the young people think. It's all worked out so well. I know. I know. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm constantly being reminded by my team to you know get more woke. Yeah. So, um, I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying my best. You seem pretty woke to me. You seem pretty woke. Um, so acknowledgements. Who would you like to thank who have helped you along the way? Okay. Um, anyone anyone that gave me a minute of their time and there have been hundreds of people to the black cab driver who used to listen to me in the morning and chat away to the the you know to my global head who made me really feel I'm off I'm leaving thank you do you know what I mean to you know to to my mum and obviously to my dad to my whole family to anybody that's ever given me a moment and ultimately my my biggest thanks goes to my team 
my biggest thanks. Mm, Absolutely. That is lovely. So your advice and tips. Someone who's listened to this, my goodness, I mean, I'm so inspired, but somebody who is listening to this, you know, and is thinking, oh, God, you know, I'm not happy. I'm not happy and I need to do something. I, this is not a dress rehearsal, especially, you know, us in our 40s, are, you know, going towards the late 40s. Time, time is ticking. We can't deny it. It really is. And maybe even older than that. Um, but it's not too late. It's still not too late. No. So what? is your advice to someone who's thinking in terms of we're stick with work you know look come on this is it's making me miserable now it's making the people around me miserable what do i do okay my my thing is do it make the change leave whatever you're doing is making you unhappy stop it and think about what else it is you want to do because there will be there'll be an inner calling for you that you want to do and it might be an idea it might be just a whole different career that's already structured that you could join you know but do it and do your research. If it's if it's a business idea, then you know Google's practically free. Get on there, research. You know, I used to go and sit in supermarkets and watch. You know what they were putting on the shelves, taking off the shelves. Talk to people in the aisles like I was absolutely crazy. Going, oh, why have you picked that up? What makes you pick that up? You know, all of this kind of stuff. You know, get online, research constantly, research. You know, and I think a really big thing is. Believe in you. Do you know what I mean? Believe you can do it. You know, just because you're in your 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, I mean, 80s even. I mean, you know, you see older people who are absolutely inspiring. You know, you know, even if I look from a finance world, I look at Warren Buffett, and there is a man that's literally in his 80s, completely still, you know, nailing the financial world, still living in the same house he bought, you know, got a mortgage on when he was in his 20s. I mean, it's just great it's inspiring you know and you know look at David Attenborough and stuff like that I mean my god I mean who couldn't be inspired by someone older and I think I think never feel that it's your end of your time and never feel that this is it this isn't it do you know what I mean there is always something else and you know from a business point of view do your research because you're about to plunge yourself into something else when you understand the full weight of what that is i think will give you such firmer ground to land on and also never be never be worried about the mistakes you know you'll learn from them you'll get better at it i make mistakes every day we've made mistakes that we don't even know we've made yet you know but that's fine we will be okay you know and i i just think yeah just like you say you know, this is, you know, we're not in Kansas. This is, you've got one chance. Just give it a go. Kathy Mosley, thank you for being such an amazing guest on the next chapter. I have loved, loved our conversation. Thank you very much, Ellie. I've had the best time chatting to you. You're lovely. <laughs> so are you. And one day we go to Raymond Road. Exactly. <laughs> Ah, so there you are. What did you think of Kathy? I loved her, as you can probably tell. I just so did. But not just because she reminded me of those happy days at Roman Road Market. She's just so refreshing, honest, and well, Kathy's just done it, hasn't she? I took from that that it's all about listening to that voice of yours, some self-belief, and of course, old-fashioned hard work. But my goodness, if you are doing something you love, well, for Kathy, it doesn't sound like work at all. You can find out so much more about Kathy and her fabulous team at weareboundless.co.uk. Go on, just go and have a look, see what they're up to. And now when you see those snacks in your local shop, well, now you know just how they got there. You can, of course, keep up with me at elliebarkerwrites.com. You're listening to the next chapter by Ellie Barker, a flower pot production. So until next time, keep listening to that inner voice. What's it telling you? Go on, you can do it. Speak soon. <laughs>